This is episode three of the Reimagining Work uh, Work podcast with John Wenger and Roger Nord. I am the host for this episode. I welcome all listeners. Um, today we're going to talk about teams. Title is what is going on in my team, and we're not talking about um, the gossip within the team or who's doing it with whom, um, <laughs> right? Um, we're talking about the dynamics, the inner workings of a team. Why does a team is a team and how does a team work and uh, what are the things that we have to pay attention to, especially when you lead a team as a manager most of the time. Um, so, John, my first question really is just like getting to it. Um, what is exactly two questions? There you go. Uh, how important is teamwork, and uh, what is a team? Uh, how important is teamwork? It's not. Just is the short answer in the modern workplace. If we think about social business in the early twenty-first century, it is and it's not. Um, there, there is a there is a, a a convention, I suppose, for the last twenty, thirty, maybe forty years that you know we work together. We don't work in, in uh, assembly lines, we work in teams, and therefore we have to devote our energy to growing teams, doing team building. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's misunderstood, and I, I quite like the work of Katzenbach and Smith with regards to the definition of a team, um, and I will see if I can find a quote from them here. Uh, they did a lot of work in the early 90s uh, observing teams and working groups their definition of a team is a small number of people with complementary skills who are committed to a common purpose, set of performance goals and approach for which they hold themselves mutually accountable. Now, I think in the modern workplace, it's not always the case that you get a bunch of people who are together who actually need to develop themselves into what Katzenbach and Smith would call a high-performing team. Most of what goes on is people working together in groups. And my fascination and the reason that I, I kind of come at this question of what's going on in my team is not to get too stuck on, on the need for teams or, or not. It's just that we are working more together in social business. And I'm fascinated by what happens when human beings get together. My um, take in my observations, I think, is that human beings really were pretty hit and miss about being effective when we work together and I think if we become a little conscious of what goes on between us if we look at the dynamics that go on in between us as people we, we can uh, have some more understanding and therefore be able to approach social business with some more consciousness with some more principles I suppose um, and I think that there are there are certainly some very good models of how how teams develop um, but they are more descriptive than prescriptive. Um, they are also, they're always useful models to have, but in the modern workplace, which is more complex than in the old days, I think we need to, to be a little bit loose and free with our thinking and not be too rigid and say, you're a team, you're not a team, you need some team building, you don't need some team building. I think that's far too simplistic. Um, we do work in groups. We have meetings. Some people work as what Katzenbach and Smith might call as a genuine high-performing team. Other people don't. In fact, I think most people probably don't. I think for the sake of our discussion today, um, 
it's the undercurrents within human groups that's relevant for the world of work. Um, however, for the sake of this discussion, we could do far worse than settle on the word team. So I may use it as a shorthand when I mean you know a bunch of people that are together. Um, so that's that would be the, the the short answer, I suppose, to your two questions: what's what's a team and how important is a team? Because the way I see it is that in especially in 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 old environments, uh, people were haphazardly put together mm. because they happened to be in a similar geographical location, be that in a country or on, on, on a, um, in an office, and then all of a sudden you have a team. Mm. And then uh, just to make that team work, uh, we put them on a team building thing mm. where they have mm. to build a raft or you know, they have to share a sheep uh, together, or I don't know what. Mm. And, and and at the end of the day, then everything should be okay, and we have a team that works properly together. But it doesn't work that way. I mean, in my experience, <laughs> and I've done a few, it never really worked that way. We had fun the day that we actually, mm. but then we get back to the office, and everything was just status quo. Nothing had changed at all because we didn't, we weren't taught how a team works or uh, what our strengths are or how we can combine them in order to be more productive and least of all we didn't change anything um, uh, any any key players within teams in order to create a better team or you know a more suitable team and uh, from what you're saying I think it's very important that we understand the underlying um, Issues that how teams work and uh, um, how people, how managers can understand that better. And now we need to go to a second question. Uh, right? I mean, just to follow on, I think I think that's yeah. I think that's absolutely right, and I think it can be a bit of a red herring, and that's a completely other discussion. Uh, you and I about team building and the effectiveness of team building. What, I, right. what I'm really fascinated by and I think is far more relevant for the, for the future of work is we're reimagining work. It's reimagining how, say, a manager or uh, an assistant to a group or a team can gain some insight or some understanding of what's going on between these people. Why is it that these people who have gathered together to do something together, to work together, to achieve a purpose, an organization, a group, a team, what's going on that seems to be undermining their efforts? And I don't think it's lack of the high ropes course or the rafting course. I think there's there's some there's some dynamics, some psychology of what goes on between humans that people could do well to learn a little bit about. And I think when your eyes are open to these things, it seems a little bit more manageable. I is, think. This, uh, is this something that uh, once you know, uh, obviously it's something that once you know, you can't unknow it. Mm. Once you see it, it's very difficult not to see... Uh, uh, things like that. Once you learn uh, how those dynamics work, you uh, tend absolutely. to you tend to recognize them much quicker. Is this something that is applicable to any team? In my experience, it's applicable to any group of human beings that come together and trying to do something together. And I'm leaving it as broad as that. So you know, it can be the guy or the girl who are um, organizing. Uh, a, a bunch of um, uh, p 
people to uh, I don't know to do some fundraising for for their local charity. Um, it can be the the person who is uh, uh, overseeing the uh, the work of some local community volunteers. Uh, it can be the the person whose role it is to run the monthly team meetings or organizational meetings. Is anybody who has some kind of role of of intervening or overseeing or assisting a group of humans trying to do something together. That's that's what I think is so uh, fantastic about some of this stuff. My 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 uh, uh, eyes were opened, like you say, you can't unknow it. When I learned about the work of Wilfred Bion many years ago. And a lot of the work I do with clients is, is assisting them to have better working relationships and uncover what goes on between people and clear some of the static that exists between people that is the interference that gets in the way of good, productive, satisfying work. So Wilfred Bion, I think, is a particularly enlightening um, source around that kind of psychology of human groups. He's not the only one. There's a whole range of them, a whole range of them and of there, there, there are, you know, there are models of how teams develop, how humans, you know, develop and grow into groups. You know, Tuckman's models is probably the most well known: forming, storming, norming, performing, and then there's a last stage, which is mourning, when the group is kind of coming to its end. That's probably the most famous model of the life of a group. Um, the the work of Beyond is the one that really has lit a fire under me, though, and I haven't seen many people that use that apply Beyond's work. Just for the for the sake of uh, our listeners, all the names that you're mentioning right now, we're going to put links up to to these names, to these people and their uh, philosophies and ideas and ideology, whatever. Uh, we're going to put them up on the on the blog, um, uh, the reimaginingworkpodcast.com. It's easier to say than to type. It really is. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. It's a good title, but it's 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 a heck of a URL. And uh, but we're going to put them up on YouTube too. The links uh, beneath in the, in the the about, so you can find them uh, back. Um, from what I understand, the the psychology that you're talking about, it's very basic psychology, very basic human uh, psychology, and I'm not talking about. Uh, uh, psychology one-on-one, -on -one, where you you know lesson one. This is the basics, but it's uh, almost primal, right? It's it's when you put people in a group and you have them deal with each other, their lizard brain uh, kicks in and determines much of what happens within that team. And um, my point is, a lot of people don't even realize the things that they do when they do them. Mm. And um, so when a team malfunctions and there's nobody who has any knowledge about this, will not be able to explain why that team failed. They'll point fingers and they'll lay blame and there will always be a black sheep here and there, but they wouldn't know exactly what went wrong. So the necessity for, especially when you put it back into a social business context, when you want to develop very uh, high-functioning and productive teams and um, communities 
you know, because that's what, what you build communities, and around that you 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 create the productivity, and you know you create everything else. That that's your your building blocks of the um, uh, of your social business. And but you have to know how to build these teams, and in the in order to do that, you have to have a certain basic knowledge of psychology, uh, the basic psychology about teams. Well, um, I, I absolutely go along. I mean, that, that's a point I, I can't underline enough. I mean, one of the people who I read regularly and who I would strongly advise anybody listening, they want to, to read an incredibly enlightening blog. It's Louise Altman's blog, intentionalworkplace.com. Uh, I've been reading Louise's workplace and uh, the intentional workplace blog for uh, quite a number of years now. And there's one of, one of her my favorite articles of hers, Five Reasons Why Business Can't Afford to Ignore Psychology for Another Hundred Years. And she, she kind of talks about the, 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 the legacy we have from, you know, sort of uh, scientific management, Frederick Taylor scientific management. And that, that business is still ignorant about the basics of human dynamics, the basic, um, the sort of the, the underlying psychology around our emotions and we cannot leave ourselves at the door when we come to work. We, we, we bring all of ourselves. So we cannot afford in a social world, in a social business, to ignore that stuff anymore. Um, so your, your point is, is well taken that th this is it's not basic psychology but there is some psychology that I think anybody who, who oversees a group and that includes managers, it includes classroom teachers, it includes people who organize volunteers, it includes anybody who's overseeing groups of human beings, they, I, I think they could do worse than read a little bit of some basic psychology, uh, some group dynamic stuff, that, you know, familiarize yourself with people like Tuckman. Um, the important thing, I think, is that nobody needs to become a professional psychologist or organizational psychologist in order to do this sort of stuff. But there's a lot of information, and in, in, in the information age, there's no excuse for not knowing it. To, we can inform ourselves of some of these things. And, and, and know some of the things which really if we look at the phenomena can seem really mystifying. I mean the, the most that we probably have managed to get to when things aren't going right within teams or working groups within organizations or within departments we go oh well that's politics or that's personality clashes or they've got competing professional interests or they want to be really careful that they don't do things which are career limiting they're just climbing the ladder that's what it looks like and that's what we've managed to kind of name those things. I think we've come a little bit further and we can say there's a little bit more than politics. Well, what's behind the politics? So, and I think that's why Beyond's work has really enlightened me around a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, Beyond was a, was a, um, a psychoanalyst uh, in the early part of the 20th century and he observed how groups of people interacted and he said that basically when when there is a group of people who are and people gathered together in groups to achieve some kind of purpose together, but when there is there is some form of um, interference, when there is some kind of anxiety, when there's something that's not going right, that is um, uh, that, around change, for example, uh, unpredictability, volatility. Um, people become anxious and that's quite a natural normal human thing we all have a limbic system we become anxious when things aren't going our way we become anxious when things are confusing to us and we all have different ways of, of, of feeling and expressing our anxiety now when people come together in groups it becomes really complex beyond used a word which I don't know that you could say would be appropriate in the workplace 
maybe it depends on your workplace, he called it madness. <laughs> the madness of which um, Beyond spoke, he classified into three basic groups. And his, his, his observations were that when people come together, they have two sets of mentalities, if you like. The one is what he called the work group mentality. He called it the work group, but we'll call it the work mentality. There's a mentality which is we've come together to achieve a purpose. Uh, we're we're going to be purposeful together. We're going to be productive together. Then there's something that's un underneath the surface, which he called basic assumption group. Or called the basic assumption mentality. So there are two sets of mentalities going on when people are together. The work mentality, the basic assumption mentality. And the basic assumption mentality is the unspoken assumptions about how the group operates together. And the, the madness is what they fall into in, a, in, in, in response to anxiety and uncertainty. He classified the basic assumption mentality in three categories. Uh, one of them is called fight-flight, and many people will be familiar with fight-flight response. When things aren't going well in a, in a working group, in a team, um, there will be a fight-flight mentality that they default to, um, which is where people project their anxiety onto other, and other, and other which is different from us. So it's when people may, um, there's, a, there's a group outside the other department, and I've seen this many times where the, the, uh, the sales department is um, projecting an anxiety about their performance onto the admin department. They're not doing their work, and there's an us and them mentality which develops. If the basic assumption is the fight-flight. There's another basic assumption mentality in response to this kind of anxiety, which is the dependency basic assumption. So when there's a dependency assumption in, within a group or a team, in when things aren't going right, uh, then they idealize the knowing leader. And it has, it has two sides. So you, you are desperately pleading for the leader to make it right, to put it right. Things aren't going well, and you look to the leader and say, please fix this for us. Um, the, the other side, the flip side of that is to blame the leader. So things aren't going right, it's the leader's fault. It can be either of those two that I've, I've observed. The third basic assumption mentality that Beyond describes is pairing, which is where things aren't going right within the working group. Um, so there'll be uh, a pair of people, a couple of people within the group, within the team, who we will put all of our hope into because they'll fix things. Um, we're hoping for two people or even two, maybe two subgroups to come together and to, to create the, the best solution because things aren't going well now. Um, what you may see, for example, in, in, in pairing, if you run, if you run meetings and, and something happens and you can feel a little bit of tension in the room, you, you might see a couple of people give each other a, a little wink or a nod or they kind of do that, that knowing glance with each other. And if you see the same two people doing it regularly and you notice that those are the same two who are always kind of going off for their coffee break together after a meeting, that could be a question of pairing. They have a sense of things aren't going well, but you know, you and I know how to sort things out. Oh, look, there she goes again, or there he's, he's, he's doing that thing again. So the, the, the pairing is these two people think that they can save the day. 
So just to kind of re summarize, you've got a mentality of this is why we're all together, but underneath when things aren't going well, people will resort to one of those three uh, basic assumption behaviors. Um, the can, I, uh, thing is, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Or I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. Uh, because what you're telling me now, I can assume that, that uh, people want to hire you in order to um, have them, because, uh, you know, they have, or they have problems, or they want to um, prevent uh, problems within uh, working with teams. And, um, but I can imagine that if, if a company sees the light, and decides that we want to become a social business. We really want to make that effort, and we really want to get our business into the 21st century. And all these things that you're naming, or these three things that Beyond is, you know, your point fights or flight, blame someone else, or pairing, these things are very natural in an office environment. It happens all the time. Yes. And, um, but for a, a business to, to, to grow up, if you will, to, into a social business, these are exactly the things that you want to prevent or that you want to at least be aware of that they happen. Because the fight or flight, any change that you want to drive through a company, whether it's positive or negative, you know, reorganizations are not always positive things. People tend to you know, become defensive. Uh, or, you know, you can pick one of those three, basically, where how people will react to any change. And social business, becoming a social business, is the biggest change that you can possibly imagine within in a company or evolution. It's, it's that big. Um, if, I, if, if I can underline that, that that's, that's be, be, the, what is behind me becoming interested in, in this work, because social business is a, the biggest change that we've seen, I think, in in our history and in a long time. It is a sea change in how business works. It is an absolute sea change in how business generation, works. generation, past generation, and the next generation. Absolutely. So in order, to, in, in order to, to, to deal with this huge change in how business operates, there are some new capabilities, some new knowledge, some new awarenesses that people need to have. And that's my passion with this, is that there is a knowing that what's going on in front of me we, we can no longer just say it's down to politics or they have a personality clash. There is now some technology out there because lots of people have been doing research around this for a long time that will unveil some of the mystery behind it. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to say it's just a mystery or that's just the way that things are or it's just one of the challenges. There are actually some ways and, and I think, you know, models of group dynamics are a beautiful addition to any, any manager's uh, a sort of knowledge kit. Yeah, exactly. It's where world. I want to go to. Yeah. Um, you know, in a response to the to the to the madness that you that you describe, because in fact, you know, if you let it go on long enough, that's exactly what happens. You know, people just, you know, they get so stressful uh, that they have to lash out some way. Uh, usually, people just get burned out. That's that's like the ultimate. Um, uh, effect that, that it can have on people. Uh, so uh, what principles do you have for manager or manager team leaders that they can work with in order to deal with 
There's insanity. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think principles is a good starting place. I'm not sure that it's, this is the thing that you, again, that we've talked about this before, that you have the top tips or step one, step two. It's, humans are, are complex and groups of humans are even more complex. Principle number one, do not become the team psychologist. There's nothing more annoying than somebody going off and reading or listening to a half-hour podcast and going, oh, I heard about this and this is what I see in, in the meeting. Oh, I know, therefore, this is what's going on. And, and there's nothing really more irritating than somebody armed with a little bit of psychological knowledge and becoming the team psychologist. Somebody who's done one of those surveys and goes, I understand now. It's great that you understand, but please resist the urge to become the team psychologist. Uh, avoid labeling that's connected to it. You know, I, I think to reduce any human or any group of humans down to a behavior or a little set of behaviors is counterproductive. I think it's, it's uh, it, again, humans are more complex and groups of humans far more complex than a few sets of behaviors that you observe. So I think keeping, keeping labeling out of it would be useful. And I think for anybody who manages people, who's, who, who, who is the, the, the leader of meetings, uh, who's a leader of people, who groups of people, become interested in your own development. I mean, I think developing a practice of reflection is important. Um, be aware of some of the dynamics that occur and, and, again, resist the urge to jump to a label or this happened because they're in stage one of Tuckman's model. You know, these things are only descriptive and they are not prescriptive. So become reflective. Notice yourself in this as well. It's very difficult to um, re resist being drawn into the dynamics of groups when they fall into these sorts of behaviors. So learn to separate yourself out. It keeps a, a nice healthy boundary for you so that you are then in a better state, I suppose, to respond with a little bit more grace and equanimity and lightness and humor it's not about having the answer or being the team fixer. And, and particularly if the group defaults to a dependency, basic assumption, it can be incredibly tempting and incredibly flattering that they look to you to be the fixer of the problems. Uh, be aware that in, that in that case, they may be defaulting to a dependency uh, response to their anxiety of things not going well. Um, there, there are some... I suppose some ways of operationalizing the the beyond model and and one of the things I find delightful about it is that it's it, it it's about taking a counterintuitive approach to groups and teams so if a group is falling into dependency madness please fix this for us leader then a response would be to attempt to create uh, uh, one of the other basic assumptions like a pairing. So look for friendships as a foundation for people to think together. That's a pairing thing. And in a, in a, in a less functional, in this more dysfunctional grouping, you, really, you wouldn't really want pairing. But when dependency is the thing that's happening, look, look for the pairs of people who might come together and, you know, how can we solve the, the dynamic problem that's going on between us? Um, or you might look for a, a fight-flight, but rather than the kind of the negative dysfunctional aspect of fight-flight, let's look at this as a challenge. Let's take a let's take up the struggle against the challenge. Let's really engage with our differences together. Let's learn to have these robust conversations with each other. So these taking the counterintuitive approach to the basic dependency behaviors is is one way of looking at operationalizing it. And in that, you don't have to have the answer or be the fixer. 
can I can I just because when when you just what you just said I'm not going to repeat it but all the things that you just said to me it sounds like you know um, you need a specialized person in order to teach you this or to deal with those kind of things it's not like what you said like you listen to this podcast and you get all the answers uh, and you're able to lead the teams in your company and, and get everything sorted it just doesn't work that way it's much more complicated than that and um, what we're trying to do with this podcast sometimes we are able to give you a solution or you know some guidance into uh, what it is that you could do and sometimes it's just to make you aware of certain aspects uh, within um, uh, office dynamics if you will that are so much more complicated than you might realize on the surface that you might actually want to get some outside help in order to deal uh, in this particular case with the dynamics within the team because fair chance is you will not have the qualif qualifications to actually deal with it in, the, in a very constructive way and um, that's what we're trying to do also here is to make sure that you understand that sometimes you just need to reach out and, and, and grab somebody and get somebody inside your company or within your team in order to actually solve uh, problems. I think that makes sense. I mean, I've met I've met a couple of leaders in my time who who seem to be naturals with this. And there was one particular uh, manager that we worked with uh, years ago who who did seem to be a natural who who actually who who absolutely got how groups interact and how to assist them to move to a, a better level of uh, of functioning together. Right. And and bringing some of the awareness of this is what may be going on between us. Let's not shy away from this. Let's let's deal with this. Let's deal with the dynamics that are getting in the way because this is getting in the way of us being happy and satisfied and productive in our work. There are other managers who, by life experience and training, they're not, um, they, they don't have the abilities yet. And again, I think this is part of the 21st century leader's um, kit bag, if you like. Uh, of there's, there is a whole bunch of stuff that people are yet to learn because we are undergoing a sea change in how businesses work. Social business is alien to us. So there are a whole bunch of capabilities that we haven't yet learned. So certainly there are there are there can be the case to bring somebody in and say, look, can can you assist me with this sort of stuff? I, I don't understand. It's it's too mystifying, and my attempts to deal with this have um, just garnered more of the same, really. So there's there's some there's a piece I'm missing, I, and I and I think they're called blind spots for a reason. I think any leader with their salt would acknowledge that they have some blind spots, and and, know, and let's face it, I mean. That's part of the definition of a good leader. Uh, not being aware that you don't know everything, uh, being aware that you do have blind spots, and asking for help in order to uh, move beyond an obstacle. Don't claim that you know everything and uh, you know just go with it and just you know get into a situation where you go like because I said so or because I am the leader, I am the manager, this is how we're going to do it. And um, just to you know, be able to look uh, authoritative, if you will. Hmm. And uh, that's not always like necessarily a good, good, good way to go. You know. um, right, I think we've uh, covered that pretty well. Uh, it was very interesting. Um, 
uh, we're gonna unless you have anything to add yeah don't answer that because I assume that you're gonna have plenty to add yes lots and lots lots and lots and lots and lots um, yes that's that's the trouble with these kind of subjects right uh, I'm sure that somewhere in the future we're gonna cover this subject again uh, maybe from a different angle or you know in a, in a more uh, um, uh, practical sense where we uh, maybe take a case study of, of yours and, and go through that in order to provide a little bit more depth or um, uh, um, uh, ways for people to, to deal with these kind of situations. I think that would be really good. I mean, I, it, it seems to me that if we're talking about reimagining work, the future of work is going to be more and more social, not less exactly. so. So how can we uncover some of the things that are mystifying to us as people trying to be social with each other? How can we learn how to, without sounding all fruity and, and, and airy-fairy, be more accepting of the diversity that we have to work with? Because it's within our differences in diversity that gives organizations greater strength, gives networks greater strength. So we will certainly revisit this in the future. That's very nice said. Okay, very well said. Um, next episode, episode four, is going to be about Planet Social Business. That's the title that we're giving it. And we're going to look at the different disciplines and tribes within social business. What does um, social business mean and how does a social business differentiate itself from a regular business? And just to, to, to get a, a more clear view of what it is that we're talking about. And uh, because sometimes it can be woolly-bully and uh, wobbly, timely wobbly, and I don't know what kind of thing. So uh, we, we hope to get some more clarification in the next episode. Uh, thank you for listening. This was the Reimagining Work podcast with Roger Nord and John Wenger. Thank you for listening, and until next week. Goodbye.